Good evening and welcome to our fifth Empty Nesters class. The title tonight is In the Zone, Deliberate Discipleship, that is church relationships that lift others up. I've also uh, entitled this Mutual Affection. Because as we're now approaching the apex of the construction of our own pyramid of faith from 2 Peter Chapter 1, the Apostle Peter encourages us to consider how to grow our mutual affection for one another. Indeed, after the following opening comments by my wife and I, we will spend the remainder of our class time recounting specific ways others in our fellowship have expressed mutual affection toward us. Hopefully, the recounting of these events will help us realize all the more how important mutual affection is is to promoting generational lift in our fellowship. Likewise, it should be self-evident from Peter's discourse that growing one's faith in God is inextricably linked to our church body relationships. However, I would first like to clarify some of the terminology that is used in the scriptures referred to in today's class. In Second uh, Peter chapter 1, um, the Greek word for mutual affection, or to love our brother, is uh, transliterated as Philadelphian. Now, though there are several different Greek words to describe love, the Apostle Peter selected the word Philadelphian as the godly quality we should strive for adding to our faith. And the root of that word is translated as phileo, which may be uh, familiar to some of us. And this tends to convey the thought of affection or friendship towards others who are like us. Now, our Urban Dictionary might state it this way. I love my peeps. It has also been popularized by the compound word Philadelphia, and that's a conjunction of phileo and adelphos, which the English Quaker Sir William Penn used in 1682 to name the capital city of his new homeland, Pennsylvania. Now, Mr. Penn probably felt that this city of brotherly love would be a place of refuge and great encouragement for fellow Quakers who had left England under the duress of religious persecution. And then the other passage that uh, I wanted to include in tonight's discussion is found in Matthew 22, verse 39. And that Greek word used here for you shall love your neighbor or fellow tribesman is transliterated as agapesis. Now, it's Greek root word which we should all be familiar with, is translated as, or transliterated as agape. And this tends to convey the thought of affection or friendship towards others who are not like you. So, this love contains a distinctive element of self-sacrifice on the part of one offering it to his fellow man. Certainly, this definition of agape-type love is best epitomized by God towards mankind wherein he demonstrated his redemptive, sacrificial love for us, even though we were his enemies. 
Now, though the expression of love connoted by the root agape used here by Jesus suggests a more heavenly love than man would typically offer his fellow man, compared to the root phileo mentioned above, the New Testament writers, particularly John, on occasion appear to use both words, that is phileo and agape, interchangeably. Therefore, I believe it is appropriate to link the Apostle Peter's phileo admonition to Jesus' agape admonition, if not for the precedents already set by the Gospel writers, then for the following reasons. First, certainly Peter garnered his understanding of brotherly love from Jesus' own example as expressed toward not only the Apostles, but the general masses. Number two, we hold as a matter of doctrinal truth that all our conduct, you know, how we should treat our fellow man, is to be patterned after Jesus' teachings. Thirdly, it's helpful, if not protective, to keep the measure of the quality of our brotherly love rooted in that which God defines and Jesus demonstrates, lest we become conceited or otherwise stray from our Creator's original intent. Finally, when we fail to measure up, so to speak, to the biblical standard for mutual affection, we can be constantly reminded and hopefully reassured that this kind of love only comes from above and or can only be sustained by the power of God's Holy Spirit working through us. Thus, I think it would be beneficial to survey the New Testament writer's expressions of how this love from above should be expressed towards our fellow tribesmen, that is, our brothers and sisters in the fellowship. Now, you'll find it at the attached handout entitled New Testament, One and Other Passages That Teach or Explain Mutual Affection, useful for facilitating our endeavor to employ deliberate effort, which I've dubbed deliberate discipleship, in growing our mutual affection in our church relationships, thereby keeping us in the zone God intended for his peeps. And now Jean would like to share her thoughts on the topic of mutual affection. I found that this term mutual affection is also translated or expressed a couple of different ways in other Bible translations. Example like brotherly love, brotherly kindness, or brotherly affection. But in the message, the translation is described as warm friendliness. So I'd like to read this passage from Second Peter again. Second Peter 1, 3 through 9 in the message. I just like the way the author puts this. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received, exclamation. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given complimenting your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, 
alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet, no day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. Our greatest example of this warm friendliness is seen in the interactions between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did anyone read the book The Shack or even see the movie based upon William P. Young's novel? One thing that really stood out to me in this book was his betrayal of the intimate, warm, and fun relationship the Trinity had with one another. It is quite possible for us to experience this intimacy as well since we are created in the image of God and have his spirit dwelling in us. In John 14, verse 23, Jesus promised to those who love him and obey his teaching that my Father will love you and will come to you and make our home with you. I just love this. I love the picture that this portrays of our relationship with Jesus and the Father, wanting to build a home with us. It's intimate, it's fun, it's warm, and it's inviting. There are so many more scriptures that express this affection, and it is a rewarding study to undertake. The Holy Spirit is himself ready to help us with this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12-27 describes the bond of mutual affection the body of Christ should have for one another. I love verse 26, which reads, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. <clears throat> if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I was a witness last Saturday at the memorial for Faith Higgins. There were tears, there were laughters, and there were hugs shared. It was a bonding time, a comforting time. It was a time to sing and hear God's word preached, and especially to celebrate our sister in Christ. It was a time of mutual affection. We've also celebrated many babies born, weddings, and showers recently. The wonderful thing is that at each of these events... Friends and family came that were not disciples, and so they were able to participate in the love we have for one another as well. What a great way to live out John 13, verse 35, which reminds us that the world is watching us and will recognize we are disciples by our love, our mutual affection, our love for one another. Similarly, if it was while observing the disciples' love for one another that my heart opened up more and more to really hear the truth 34 years ago. It was powerful. I'll never forget the love that was shown to me when my father passed away. My sisters and brothers in Christ drove over three and a half hours that night to be at a memorial service and then turned around and got back home in the wee hours of the morning. I was so comforted and touched by their sacrifice. My family saw the love and they were amazed at the disciples. This kind of love spurs me on to do likewise. It reminds me of the love Jesus showed his disciples when he washed their feet. It's humbling. It's very humbling. Some of us may find it challenging to give or receive mutual affection, but like the message Bible says, we have a great opportunity to develop it. But I believe we all have different ways to show this kind of love. 
Whatever your strength is in this area, make it greater. So if it's gifting, if it's words of affirmation, if it's quality time, if it's affection, if it's serving, if it's praying for others, or lovingly sharing God's word, do it more and more. All our abilities come from God. Some are gifted at birth, but others of us have to learn it. The thing is, now that we have the Spirit, this love will glorify God. If you find it hard to receive it, then imitate Peter's repentance and John 13, verse 8 through 9. After Jesus confronted the apostle, he initially rebuffed Peter's or Jesus' attempts to wash his feet. Um, and after struggling with how humbling this was, Peter put aside his pride and allowed Jesus to love him completely. This is how relationships become intimate and rich. In conclusion, I was reminded of the examples of women in the Bible that have shown this kind of affection. After the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary, the mother of Jesus, she quickly goes to her cousin Elizabeth, who she must have shared mutual affection for. In Luke 1, verse 39 through 45, Elizabeth was a safe harbor and a place of encouragement. Tabitha, probably an older woman, she gave so much to help the widows and the poor. And after she died, she was mourned deeply by them. And then, amazingly, they were able to rejoice together in her miraculous resurrection. I'm convinced it was their love for her that moved Peter to perform this miracle. Priscilla and Aquila opened their home to Paul and continued for decades to risk their lives for many. Paul loved Rufus's mother, who became like a mother to him. And you find that in Romans 16, verse 13. Rufus was the son of Simon from Cyrene, who was forced to carry the cross for Jesus. You see that in Mark 15, verse 21. This, this story of their lives, this family, this is an example of generational lift. There are many women who cared for the needs of Jesus and Paul from their own means so as to support their mission. And Jesus himself entrusted his own mother to his best friend, John. Find this in John 19, verse 26 through 27. Above all, God is our example, for he gave up his only son. He grieved in pain, watching him day to day endure suffering. But he also rejoiced that Jesus showed the world what he was all about. Jesus showed us the God side of love that we had not seen in the Old Testament. It was up close and personal. And as he washed his disciples' feet, he asked us to do the same. Many of us have examples of this kind of affection that were shown to us through the years as a Christian. I hope tonight, as we get a chance to share, we will be moved by these great kindnesses and keep growing in this area. No matter what stage of life you are in, you can always give mutual affection, even to your last breath. And we've seen this too. It has a lasting and continual impact on generational lift.